Welcome to another episode of Uplifting Impact. I am so excited to be here with my friend, Paolo Gudiano. I was practicing my uh, Italian pronunciation. Did I do okay? Close, close. Close? Okay. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm going to keep working on it. We're so excited to have him here with us today. He's the CEO of Alera, president of Alera Research, and the executive director of quantitative studies of diversity and inclusion at the City College of New York. These organizations combine his decades of experience in business, technology, and academia to transform how people think about diversity and what to do about it, with the ultimate goal of making our society more inclusive and equitable. He is also a contributor on Forbes, that's how we met, and he does his work in the diversity and inclusion space and has written for and been interviewed by a number of news media outlets. He's also a highly sought after public speaker. And today, we have the great joy of having him on our podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you, Deanna? I am fantastic. It is so awesome to see you, to be with you, to have a conversation with you. We we talked a, a little while ago when we were preparing for the, the Forbes article, and I was just blown away by the way that you are approaching the diversity, equity, and inclusion space. So I was hoping maybe we could first just start with your really innovative way of thinking about how to do this work and, and what you're trying to bring to the to the space. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate the fact that you're willing to let me share my voice uh, with your audience. It's uh, I'm quite flattered. And uh, I think uh, what actually drove me to do the work was the realization that I had spent uh, about 15 years, actually really more than 20 years altogether, doing analytical work. And that some of the work that I was doing, I thought might have the opportunity to be applied to diversity and inclusion. And in particular, I saw a way of helping companies understand the relationship between what happens to an individual within an organization, and then what happens to the organization as a whole, because that was very much in line with the work that I'd done. And I saw diversity and inclusion as being essentially something that influences the experiences of individuals. So about five years ago, five and a half years ago, I had almost like a light bulb moment and I thought maybe I can do something about this. And I dove in, I started to build these computer simulations, I started to do research and convinced myself fairly quickly that there was something there that was worth pursuing. And since then, I've had the blessing of affiliating myself with a number of great people with whom I've co-founded the three entities that you mentioned, Alaria, which really focuses on corporate diversity and inclusion, then Alaria Research, which focuses on diversity and inclusion research in virtually every area of society outside of corporate, and then QuizD, which is a research center at the City College of New York that really focuses on the background research that feeds a lot of the work that we do at Alaria and Alaria Research. So it's been really quite a phenomenal journey for me. Uh, It's really wonderful to wake up every day feeling like I'm doing something that can actually potentially make a positive change in society. And that's something that is very close to my heart. So I'm very blessed and fortunate to be able to do this and uh, would love to go into whatever detail you think is appropriate for the audience. Yeah. So I think one question that I would just have is when you're talking about analytics, like Give us an example of what happens in the corporate space. Like, what are some of the things that you are bringing into their knowledge base so that they can use to make decisions? Like, what does that look like? That's a very interesting question. And I am glad that you didn't use the D word for data because a lot of people come to me and say, oh, this must be great using data. And we actually stay largely away from the traditional way that people use data because 
what we found is that just focusing on data has a number of flaws. One of them is that it's only telling you what happened in the past. Mm -hmm. And the second one is that you're only seeing things at the population level. So knowing that 13% of your employees are African-American tells you nothing about how an individual African-American individual may experience or individual person may experience the day-to-day -day workplace. So what we do in terms of analytics is that we ultimately our goal is to enable companies to understand how all of the things that they do as an organization impact their people. And then conversely, how their people by being impacted change what happens at the whole organization. But what we've done in the beginning is to realize that there was a very important missing link and that is understanding inclusion. And I'm going to spend a minute just explaining what we mean by that. Yes, please. People typically, when they do analytics, they look at diversity, they count heads, how many people are Hispanic, African-American, women, LGBTQ. We believe there, is a lot of there are a lot of challenges with that. But more importantly, the problem is that it takes a really long time for diversity to change. So it's what we would call a lagging measure. You may do something today that may take years of hiring and firing people and, and recruiting people before you actually see a change. And the problem is that what you do may be just a little part of why you end up getting a more diverse or less diverse workforce. Instead, inclusion, and we have a particular definition of it, which is that we actually can quantify how and when people feel excluded. Because ultimately, inclusion is kind of invisible. It's like sure. your health, right? You don't notice that you're healthy. You notice when you're hurt. And in the same way, if you are included all the time, you don't notice it. What you notice is when you're being excluded. So we've come up with this unique way of categorizing exclusion into nine different categories. And these are things like workplace interactions, promotion and career advancement, a feeling of, uh, feeling of access, uh, the ability to access information in your company, respect and uh, recognition and things of that sort. And we can literally quantify how people feel in each of those categories and then let a company know that, look, you're having a problem in this area with this particular Got group it. of people. And Got the it. best part is that if you now take an initiative to try to improve that, we can go back and measure it again three months later instead of three years later and see the immediate impact that you've had. So that's really, I think, currently our biggest contribution. In the long term, we see a much more kind of overarching platform that looks at all aspects of a company. But for now, by being able to quantify inclusion, we're doing something truly unique and providing companies an insight into how their, their inclusive behavior impacts their company that they've not been able to do so far. I love, you know, so many of the things that you just said, like the approach that you're taking and the way that you're looking at this. But I think one of the things that people struggle a lot with is this idea that if I've never been like excluded, it's really hard for me to know what that feels like and what kind of impact that's having. So it becomes really challenging in particular to talk to people who have always been included. So that's a whole other aspect of it too, because you can have the information, you can get the results, you can analyze, you know, what's going on and where it is. But then there's also this component of being able to move people. And I think one of the things that was really interesting in our conversation is we talked about you being a white man and being in this role that one of the things you feel really like, uh, I don't want to use the word obligated, but one of the things you get really excited about and one of the things that you're really enjoying is being able to understand that that's who you are and how you apply that and bring other people along in the learning journey. Can you just talk a little bit about what it feels yeah. like to be a, a white man doing diversity, equity, and inclusion work in this very technical way? Yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate that you're bringing that up. And, and I have to say, when I started doing this work, I used to tell people, oh, I'm very passionate about diversity and inclusion. And I had been 
interested in diversity and inclusion, but when I look back five years ago, I was really kind of an amateur, right? I, I was more curious about it is what I should say. And in doing the work that I've been doing and trying to learn from other people, I've come to the a couple of realizations that to any, any person who's not a privileged white man like me is fairly obvious, which is that we are privileged. We are unaware of what happens to other people. And a lot of times our behaviors, including our unwillingness to accept the fact that we have that privilege can create great problems. And as I've learned that, one of the things that I've really enjoyed is the fact that as a white man, as an educated, cisgender, straight white man of European origin of all things, I have about every level of privilege. And there are a lot of people that will talk to me that may not be able to talk to you or they may not be willing to talk to you. Sure. And to me, that's a, that's where I, I take that responsibility. I'm able to go into a room full of C-level executives, most of whom are white and male, and know that I can call them out on what they're doing. I can tell them what to do. I can give suggestions and they will listen to me. I'm like part of their tribe. And even though we are, as white people, we're not used to thinking of race in terms of white being a race. The reality is that, you know, we all resonate with people that are like us. And I have this incredible card that I can play. And I'm very, as said, as you pointed out, I feel like it is an obligation on my part. I feel that having realized that white people are really the, the source of the problem and have been historically the source of the problem, it's really important for us to realize that and say, look, we need to fix this, not because we're trying to help other people, but because ultimately it's better for everybody. If the mm -hmm. society is not inclusive and not equitable, it becomes an inefficient society. It means that it's it's worse for everybody. And I think that my unique opportunity to get that message across to people is something that I care about very deeply. So one of the questions I'm curious about is that you work with the people from all different backgrounds and all the companies that you're currently operating. How do you show up with them, right? And how do you make sure that they're getting, because one of the things we talked about in our conversation was just, you know, what it feels like and being able to see how some of your colleagues are treated. And that was part of your realization process of, of what this privilege looks like and how it's playing out. What happens in those kinds of spaces? Like what, what do you do differently than maybe what you did be what you do now? I remember the first few times. So, so I kind of went through, if I think about it retrospective, I went through a series of phases, you know, first it was, hearing stories. And I think that for most people that are not familiar with diversity and inclusion who are white and privileged, a lot of times we discount those. We're like, no, that cannot possibly be the case. So it only happens once in a while. So the first thing that happens is that when you hear that over and over and over again, you start to realize that, wow, okay, this is clearly not, not just a, a one-off. The second thing that happened is that I actually started to witness it. And I witnessed it. And I have to say, one of the first most vivid examples was uh, my, my partner at the City College of New York, who's one of the most amazing people that I know. She's the dean of the School of Engineering, soon to become president of a different college where she's now been recruited. And uh, so here's a woman who is running the largest uh, engineering public school in New York. We're talking to other staff in the university, and we're talking about creating this diversity and inclusion center. She's the one that's supporting it financially. And the white male person across the table is looking at me and talking to me like I'm God's gift to diversity and inclusion and kind of ignoring her. And seeing that level of invisibility in such an incredible situation blew me away. And then I started noticing it more and more. This was maybe four years ago. And then I started noticing it more and more in my other interactions. And so over time, there was that second phase, which was the the shock of like, oh my God, I can't believe that these kinds of things happen to you all the time. I'm only seeing a tiny bit of them. And then finally, there the, the was sort of the final phase is to realize that, again, this goes back to the responsibility. I will never, no matter how many times I see it happen, 
no matter how many stories I hear about it, I will never know what it's like to be a black woman or, or a queer black woman or a gay man. I will never know what that's like. And so one of the things that it's taught me is to accept it, recognize it, be humble about it and, and realize that I still make mistakes. There are still times when I know that I behave with people in a way that because of my inner biases, I may not even realize that I'm being dismissive to somebody sure. or that I'm doing something inappropriate. So it's constant learning. You have to have the willingness to be open-minded. And those experiences were of such importance for me to see that firsthand. It was really, really important. So if we were to like rewind back the clock and now you have all the knowledge that you have right now and you are in that situation, is there something, because there's a lot of people who are listening and that's the thing that I think is for me in this space, uh, the, where I get a lot of hope is that there's a lot of people who are listening. The reason why they're listening is because they want to go through those phases too, right? And they want to get to a place where they're recognizing what they're doing to add to it, what they can do to change. Um, and so what would you what would you do differently, right? Like what, what kind of action or if somebody find themselves and they're going through this journey and they're listening to this podcast and they leave and they see this happening in real time, what would they do? What, where, how have you used your power to yeah. kind of change some of those dynamics? I think that there are a lot of things that people can do. And I think the fact that anybody who happens to be white or in particular a white man that is listening to this podcast, that's already a good sign. Because one of the things that I always recommend to people as individuals, you know, I used to think, gosh, you know, I, I, I was kind of frustrated because I felt like you either had to be an activist or do nothing at all. And then when I realized that I could do this work, in a sense, in a sense I have become an activist, but of a different kind, right? I, I don't necessarily go out to, uh, you know, marches and things like that. But one of the things that I've learned is that we can all do things that can be very small things or bigger things. And a couple of things that I recommend is one of them, we all use social media and check your social media account, see how many times you have retweeted or, or Facebook liked or LinkedIn shared things from white men or white people in general, and how many times you have had the opportunity to do it for other people and have not necessarily done that. You know, start following people, look for people like you, Deanna, and then, you know, try start, you know, start following people and things of that sort. So that gets you a little bit in the realization of how your own actions are changing things. The other thing is that there's definitely a certain awkwardness. Like you can't go up to somebody and say, oh, you're black. You want to come to my party, right? I mean, that's not really a very good thing to do. It has to be genuine. <laughs> but one thing that you can do and that I recommend to a lot of people is that there is a tremendous amount of incredible literature and cultural events by people that are not necessarily white. And I can tell you a couple of books that I read early on that really shaped me. You know, one of them was a book by Octavia Butler. And uh, Kindred, actually, I read a, couple, a few of her books, but like Kindred was an amazing book. Fledgling was another really interesting book. Yes. Uh, also, of course, the great Toni Morrison, the great late Toni Morrison. And I also have to say one book that really, two books that also really made an impression with me. Uh, one of them was The Hate You Give. Uh, yes. And it was actually a reasonably good uh, rendition of that. But the book itself, which was supposed to be a young adult book, was phenomenal in how vivid it was in telling some of the experiences. And then um, there were, and then another one that I was thought was absolutely fantastic was Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, because that really told the experience of an African, well, an Nigerian woman coming to the United States and dealing with race from the point of view of somebody who never thought of black as being an unusual thing, right? So, so right. read books like that. Go to cultural events. I, I live in Harlem when I'm not up here hiding away from the virus. <laughs> and uh, if you happen to be in New York, you can go to the places like the Apollo. I mean, there are thousands of events every month that you can go to where you will be exposed to music, literature, uh, dance, culture from, uh, from other 
whether it's other ethnicities, other, other religious beliefs, whatever the case might be, that's a great way to get yourself comfortable. And that will naturally lead to you making inclusion and diversity a part of your life, which is the way it should be. If you just think that diversity and inclusion is something you do at the office, it's never going to work. Right. So that was a little bit long, but I hope people will take away, you know. No, I think that that's great. That's great. And I think that what's interesting about what you just said is that doing those things outside of the office translates then into what you do in the office, right? Because you create these more authentic experiences. You actually are in space and place where you start to have relationships that are different and maybe change some of the assumptions that you have or that you've been carrying around with you. It gives you an opportunity and other people an opportunity to connect with you. I know one of the things that when I'm mentoring younger people uh, that they will say is like, I feel very awkward in in the workspace. Like I can make, I can make my way. You know, I know that the information I need, I have the skills. I, but then when we start to talk about social things, like it's like I'm, I'm from a different planet because I don't have some of the same shared experiences. And so therefore it like eliminates us, you know, having an ability to connect human to human, which at the end yes. of the day, I think that is diversity, equity, and inclusion work. It's really like human work. How do we connect better with one another? Yeah. You know, there is a, I was reading an interesting article by a philosopher who pointed out an interesting paradox that if we became truly completely diverse and inclusive, what would end up happening is that we would become a completely homogeneous society and we would all lose our own identities, right, which we don't want to happen. I think that it's important that we recognize I, uh, I will never be able to go, let's say, I've been to parties where I was like one, maybe the only or one of very, very few white people. And... If I go in there trying to pretend that I'm a black person, it's going to be a complete fail from the start. <laughs> if I go in pretending I'm going to be 100% comfortable, that's also going to be a fail from the start. And I think that learning to appreciate the differences and not necessarily trying to integrate, not necessarily trying to become like somebody else, and uh, embracing your awkwardness, you know, realizing that there are so many people in this country and other places where they feel like that all the time. They feel like they're the only one or the, you know, the odd one in the room all the time. And so to put yourself in those kinds of positions, I think is a wonderful experience. And it ultimately makes you realize that, hey, we're all human beings and and we're all going to be uncomfortable in new situations. And it's okay. That's That will continue to happen. And it should continue to happen. But then the more you do that, the more likely it is that you can be graceful about it when you when you do silly mistakes and people will appreciate that. You know, if, right. if you show genuinely that, look, you know, I know that I'm going to make some mistakes, but I'm trying, then most people will be willing to sort of, you know, say, okay, that's all right. Well, we, we appreciate that. So, so yeah, but I, I appreciate what you said. It's very important to, to do that and, and sort of continue to expose yourself and in your personal life and not just at work. You know, one of the things that I think about often is I I speak Punjabi fluently, Mm. but I speak like a, like a child because I learned when I was about four years old. And I also speak using all, like everything that I do sounds like what a man would say, because I learned only from men. And so I speak like a, like a, but a, I don't know, six-year-old boy is basically (laughs) my language acquisition level. However, Whenever I speak Punjabi, I try to speak it with some confidence and I try to really engage people in conversation. I try to push myself outside of my comfort zone. And all of the time, like, yes, there's an awkwardness to it. I know I feel silly. I I can hear it when I'm saying the wrong things, but I don't necessarily know how to correct it. But there's always appreciation, right? From the people that I'm, I'm talking to. One, they're surprised that I'm even trying. And two, they're like, 
oh, okay. Like you're, you're awkward and it's okay, but I can understand you. And I'm going to try even harder to understand you. And so there's, there's something about being vulnerable and a little confident in your vulnerability and letting people in that way that allows for some of these interactions to happen. And some of, you know, I have amazing memories from all over the world, having conversations in Punjabi with people who didn't think I could probably speak Punjabi and right. And, and just engaging them and, and how, what a cool experience we were able to create together. So. No, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And, you know, having been born in Italy and and I grew up in Italy and then I came here as a teenager, I, uh, I know exactly what you mean. You know, it's like, I remember coming here and at first I hated the fact that I had an accent and it was like, Oh my God, I'm going to try everything I can to lose that accent. And, you know, and then what's funny is that I went back to Italy a few years later, I was speaking Italian with a bit of an accent too. Yes. And and I've traveled, you know, lots of parts of the world where it's like I'm hopeless. I mean, I may speak a few words. So no, I completely understand and agree with what you say. I think it's wonderful to put yourself out there, take a chance, and uh, and most people will be understanding. Absolutely. Well, it was lovely to talk to you. I want to make sure that people can get connected to your work, get a closer view into all the awesome things that you're doing, hire you, because I think there's a lot of corporations you could really benefit from having that next layer of information as they're thinking about what their planning and structure looks like. So can you tell us what's the best way to to get connected? I would say the best thing is uh, you can send me an email either to me directly or to we have an info mailbox, but mine is Paolo. So it's P-A-O-L-O at aleria.tech, which is spelled A-L-E-R-I-A dot T-E-C-H. And uh, feel free to drop me a line. I would be more than happy to share whatever information I have. We have white papers that we can send you. You can also, if you go to Forbes.com and you look up my name, uh, if you just look up Gaudiano, there's not a lot of Gaudianos on Forbes. <laughs> It's G-A-U-D-I-A-N-O. And if you look me up, you'll see all the articles I've written by now, maybe 75 or 80 articles on Forbes in the last three years. Uh, So I would be delighted to talk to anybody and uh, always, always happy to share information. Anything that we can do would be great. You have such an amazing spirit about you. And I'm just so glad that I'm connected to you and that now our audience can be connected to you and that you're doing all of this uh, fabulous work. I just can't wait to see how it continues to evolve and how much of an impact it's really going to have on the entire sector. So thank you for being with us. We'll make sure that we put all of your information in the uh, notes you know, below on, on, our, on our site so that people will be able to click on the, some of the things that you just mentioned. And we'll just make sure that we continue to stay connected. And I just want to say thank you to everybody who's joined us today. We here at Uplifting Impact believe that if we work together, we can have a much more diverse, inclusive, and equitable world. We just have to do it. So let's do it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.